You're listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast in Kingsport, Tennessee. We are a community committed to prayer, radical hospitality, and intentional invitation. We're still in in John's Gospel. And as we have done for the past couple of weeks, we have another incredibly long lesson, much longer than we would normally read. But it's from the ninth chapter of John, and this time it's selected verses because the real text is the entire chapter. As Jesus walked along, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's work might be revealed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said this, he spat upon the ground, made mud out of the saliva, and spread it on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. And he went and washed, and he came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is not this the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he, but others said, no, it is someone who looks like him. But he kept saying, I'm the man. And they asked him, then how were your eyes opened? The man called Jesus, made mud and spread it on my eyes. And he said, go to Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees began to ask him how he had received his sight. And he said, he put mud on my eyes and then I washed and now I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. And so they said again to the man, to the, to the blind man, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened, and he said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight, and they asked him, is this your son, and was he born blind? How does he now see? And the parents answered, we know that this is our son, And we know that he was born blind, but we do not know how he now sees, nor who it is who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. So for a second time, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, I do not know whether he's a sinner. One thing I do know, though I was blind, I now see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've already told you and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want me to say it again? Do you want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. 
The man who had formerly been blind answered, this is an astonishing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? Never since the world began has it ever been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't do this thing. Jesus heard that they had driven him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? And he said, who is he, sir? Tell me so that I can believe. And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. The one speaking with you is he. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. This is the word of the Lord. I said at the beginning, it's the fourth Sunday in Lent, uh, and we're in the midst of this sermon series called Boot Camp for the Soul. We started as we do every Lent with Jesus being taken out into the wilderness to be tempted, and it's an acknowledgement of our own temptation and our need to change. And then we moved into these Gospel of John with all these extraordinarily long passages, Jesus teaching and then healing On the second Sunday, we heard the story of Nicodemus and this business about being born from above. On last Sunday, we heard the story of the Samaritan woman and the water of eternal life, living water, and people were confused. And then we come to today's text and this man who is born blind And the nature of sin and forgiveness and God's ability to redefine who we are and who we think other people may be too. Like the disciples, we bring certain preconceptions with us when we approach other people, when we approach Jesus, when we approach a story like this biblical passage for today. Now, notice I said preconceptions. I didn't say that they were necessarily prejudices, but of course, sometimes they are. Well, the truth is, all of us have prejudice at one level or another. And that's at least in part because, after all, we are all fallen human beings. And we often seem intent on judging the folks around us whether they need our judgment or not. You heard Karen read the story out of the Old Testament of the anointed, the anointing of the future King David. It's a fascinating text, of course, but I find it more than a little ironic that Samuel is there and all these fine young men pass before him and the word is, no, that's not the one I've chosen to be king. God looks at things besides appearance. And then what does he say? The biblical writers then say when David marches in front of him that he was ruddy, had beautiful eyes, and was handsome. Now give me a break. Do we think God chose him because he was handsome? Good-looking, had lovely eyes. Even the biblical writers, even the writer of Samuel chooses appearance. Maybe they ought to be thinking about character. But then again, well, David had a few character flaws, didn't he? So how are we supposed to judge 
For that matter, how does God judge? How does God choose David to be the king of Israel? Well, I'm pretty sure he doesn't choose him because he's good looking. And apparently he doesn't choose him because he is perfect in his character. We've already established that he has a few character flaws. So why does God choose a person like David? And then we come to the gospel. It's not a pretty face. It's not sterling character we encounter in the gospel lesson. Rather, we encounter one of the age-old questions that humanity always has, and it is, why does God let bad things happen? And we usually add to good people, because after all, if they happen to us, we're good people, right? Or at least that's the way we always approach it. And we often ask that because we see ourselves as basically good people. There have been lots of books written. There's been hundreds of theories put forward. There's philosophical positions taken. But nothing really fully answers this human dilemma. One of the oldest, most frequent answers given both in the Bible and out is that when bad things happen, it is the result of sin. And so it should not be surprising that people who have a calamity befall them often say, well, it must be God's judgment. You heard that before? And so it's not surprising also that the disciples of Jesus, when they see this man who has been born blind, say, Jesus, why was he born blind? Who sinned? He or his parents? Isn't it interesting that we always jump to deciding who's at fault? Who sinned? The other piece of that is why do we suffer? Most of you know that Job is the oldest book in the the Bible, and it asks the same question. And among Job's friends are these so-called friends, I guess I really should say, are those folks who insist, you know you've done something wrong, repent so God can forgive you. Everybody wants to fix blame. Something goes the way you don't want it to, and we blame somebody. In my family, we have a saying, the greatest luxury in life is having somebody to blame. Long before Jesus' day, people had been taught that everything that happened was the will of God. So if it was good, it was God's will. If it was bad, it was God's will. That's how people thought. And part of that was because God is in charge of everything, and if God is completely in charge of everything, then it must be God who makes these things happen. It was the only reasonable explanation they could find. So it's not surprising that the disciples said, okay, Jesus, who messed up? Who sinned? But notice, Jesus doesn't buy it for a minute. That may be what people had thought, but Jesus says, no. It's not this man who sinned, nor was it his parents. This one hadn't got anything to do with sin, folks. But God's going to use this man's blindness. He's going to use this man's blindness to prove how much God cares for his children. 
I understand that oftentimes we think when we've done something wrong that there is built-in consequences. Drive too fast, unable to brake, wreck your car, who's at fault? It wasn't God. It's you. And there is built-in consequences to sin, but that's not the same thing that saying every time we sin, God punishes or everything is a result of sin. Jesus says that's not the way it works. Get that out of your head. But we still do it. Now, Jesus might have taken this occasion to have preached a sermon or taught a really good seminar that would have explained to us why bad things happen to basically good folks. But you notice Jesus doesn't do that. Maybe we wish he had, but he doesn't. Instead, he says, no, your basic premise is wrong. Again, this is not about sin. It's about something else. And then without even addressing the who sinned beyond that, Jesus heals him. He takes this extraordinary step to take a person who could not see and makes them so that they can see redefining who the blind man is. He's lived his entire life. Do you notice we don't have a name? He's just the blind guy. Surely he had a name. His parents didn't name him the blind guy when he was born. But even the Bible doesn't tell us his name. Now, the scribes, the Pharisees, are pretty upset with Jesus about all this. They've already decided that Jesus is not who they want him to be. He's doing, he's saying things they don't approve of, and he represents something very dangerous. And besides this, he's healed on the Sabbath. Working on the Sabbath is not only not good, but it is condemning. And so therefore, Jesus can't be from God. That's the logic. But Jesus is not only redefining this man who was born blind. He is, re, he is also redefining how God functions in the world. And that is guaranteed to make us feel a little uncomfortable too. Deep down inside, we often think that people do get what they deserve. Too often we assume you know, people don't ever really change. We've seen that before. The man was born blind. Maybe he did do something to help cause this. We love to talk about Christ changing people's lives, but you let a ne'er-do-well who's been sentenced to prison suddenly find Jesus, and how many times do we say, ah, he's just trying to get off? Don't we say that? I won't attempt to speak for you. I'll only speak for me. But I am one of the world's great skeptics. When my parents named me Thomas, they knew what they were doing. As in doubting Thomas. Now I know, I know intellectually, I know theologically, I know spiritually that God can redefine a person to a new being. 
We got Nicodemus and the born from above passage. After all, God also changed you and me, didn't he? But also no human behavior. And it's really hard to look out on the world and see people pretending, at least in our eyes, to be different when we suspect it's just a scam. Lots of you aren't old enough, but some of you are. Some of you can remember when the Watergate scandal happened in the early 70s. Do you? A guy named Chuck Colson, one of Nixon's henchmen, and he's finally caught. He is finally set. There's finally a trial. He is convicted and he's sent to prison. And nobody questions whether or not he deserved it. So he serves part of his sentence. And then he finds Jesus. And I was the world's greatest skeptic. I don't believe it for a minute. He's just trying to get out of jail early. And he does get out of jail early. Isn't that interesting? How can God possibly use somebody like this? Well, guess what? I was wrong. Do I need to say that louder? I was wrong. Because clearly, this is the guy who starts prison fellowship and makes a profound difference in the penal system across the United States. You don't have to agree with what he did. God knows who would. But can't we see the results of what he became? It's a very hard habit for us to break. We're in the habit of having this idea that the relationship we have with God is because it's something we do or it's something we've said or it's in the way we act. We see ourselves as basically good people. So of course Jesus wants to come and save us. We forget the awful gospel truth that Jesus died to save sinners. And that includes us, as well as a whole bunch of other people. We keep forgetting that sometimes those sinners are the folks who take drugs, they drink too much, they commit horrible crimes, they do terrible things to other people. And sometimes... We other sinners are the ones who say, well, Lord, I may not be the best person in the world, but at least I don't take drugs and I don't drink to excess and I hadn't committed horrible crimes. Our sins may be diverse and wicked, but there is no more perverse sin than the one when we say, I thank you, God, that I'm not like those other people. It's good on a Sunday, the fourth Sunday in Lent, to be reminded that Jesus was crucified in part because of the company he kept. They said, he eats with sinners. And it wasn't that Jesus changed some lives. We expect a Savior to save. 
We just don't expect him to save the people he ends up saving. Come on. Save those of us that are not that bad. Don't go save the rest of them too. Jesus ends up dying for all those we think nobody would die for. John's gospel is filled with irony. The sighted don't see. The blind man does see. The dead are made alive. Jesus makes us religious insiders feel like outsiders. There's all these twists in plot and character. Jesus healing the blind man and those subsequent reactions is one of the most ironic of all the things in John's gospel. It's as ironic as little David being chosen because he was ruddy and had pretty eyes. Enormous irony. We religious folks find out we're not the ones that get to identify with the blind man. Maybe you want to. Maybe you want to say, I'm the one that was born blind. No, we're not. We're part of the Pharisees. I don't like that very much. I don't want to be part of the Pharisees. But you remember Jesus comes into his own and his own received him not. Because Jesus came into the world to embrace and save people we wouldn't cross the street for. So, next time you're feeling particularly self-righteous, and I assure you, we all feel self-righteous at one time or another, don't we? Can we be that honest? Next time you're feeling particularly self-righteous, remember that the stories of Jesus are meant to remind us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, according to Paul. And besides that, God has this strange obsession with choosing the most unlikely people to go out and do great things. Knowing the story of David, why would God have chosen him to be the king? He was a scoundrel. But it continued right down through the disciples. They run off in fear. One of them, a guy who, upon whom the church will be founded, denies Jesus. And the guy that wrote all the letters, what was his name? Paul? He's the one who persecutes and kills Christians. And still, God takes the time to forgive and to redeem and to use. I don't pretend to fully understand all this. I stand, though, with the blind man. He says to the Pharisees, you know, I don't know about all these theological issues, but one thing I do know, I was blind. And now I see. Can we open our eyes and see? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. 
For more information about our faith community, visit us online at chpres.org.